We're back with another week and another film uh, and another guest. This week we have the host of Below Freezing and Rewind 2552. I got the title right, right? You did. Yes, you did. Yes. Okay. I I was afraid I had spoonerized it. Um, Mr. Adam St. John, welcome to the Oscar Worcester Podcast. Thanks for having me. Um, I'm I'm excited to be on and talk about well, to, to talk about a Best Picture winner and to talk about uh, a Best Picture winner that I enjoy watching. So, yeah. All right. Good. Well, yes. and uh, what's that say? I was just saying, all right. All right. <laughs> I, I always feel like I'm stepping on you, so I try not. All right. Well, before we get to talk about Unforgiven, we're going to badger you with a couple questions. Please so, do. So if you're ready. Um, so this is uh, Unforgiven. The year is 1992. And our first question for you is... How old were you in 1992, and do you have any memories of the time? Oh, sure, lots, lots of um, uh, five-year-old memories to 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 just reminisce about. Um, <laughs> let's see here. Uh, for the one one Washingtonian uh, in the group, there, um, I was living at the time in Lake Stevens. I don't know if you know where that is. Not exactly. If you showed me a map, it- I'd be like, oh yeah. It's in it's in the like it's in Snohomish County, um, okay, north 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 of Seattle. Um, I you know I gotta be honest. Five like the the most recent memory. <laughs> this is terrible. Uh, my 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 parents probably officially were divorced right around this time. Um, mm. But but what's great is that I don't have any like solid memories of this time. So you know as, as long as I can remember, my parents were just divorced. So so no big deal. But uh, I don't really know. You know I don't have any solid memories probably for another couple <laughs> of years. Other than getting into trouble, you know, that's about it. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Well, I mean, if it makes you feel any better, you're in the company of wonderful parental discourse, except for, <laughs> you know, Paul and his perfect family. Oh, God, Jesus fucking. <laughs> is, 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 uh, Paul, are your parents still together? Yes, my parents are still together. Yeah. Uh, and Jonathan and I have two, daddy issues. These two like to rub it in my face that I had <laughs> happy childhood. <laughs> what a weirdo. Right? <laughs> Imagine living in the 90s with your parents together. Right? <laughs> and, oh, God, that's weird. That's weird. I can't, I can't even imagine it. I mean, at that point, my mom was on her second divorce. So, I mean. There will only be, what, five, six more after that? Yeah, right? <laughs> that's <sighs> not hyperbole. <laughs> <laughs> Love your mom. <laughs> <laughs> your favorite dog okay Adam, yeah what are some formative films for you that got you into enjoying film or some films that have stuck with you over the years um so i i can vividly remember seeing i think my first the first movie i saw in theaters was robin hood prince of thieves which I believe is the year before this. I don't know why I was there. Like, and this is one of those things where maybe like my my memory is fucking with me a bit. But I I I, I vividly remember seeing this movie in theater. So in terms of like seeing a movie in theaters, that, that like that's the earliest thing I have. Um, collectively, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles franchise was like those were my favorite movies. Yes. Um, I also I also remember um i saw the turtles they had a live show and i remember coming out of their shells. yes 
I remember seeing it as a kid and um, the, the turtles ran down the like the alleyway to the stage and Michelangelo gave me a high five. Oh. And I that I remember. Um, but I, I and, and I might Paul, I might have mentioned this to you when you were on. I don't know. Um, I inappropriately saw Pulp Fiction when I was in the fourth <laughs> grade. Um, yeah. And uh, that movie is and will always be my my favorite movie of all time. Um, uh, it, it and I, I don't know what it did at the time, and I probably didn't get fifteen percent of what that movie was about. Um, but everything from the directing of it to the performances, and honestly, just the way that the story was being told—that's that, what got me interested in being a storyteller. Was the the way in which that story was told, and then you know, I, I, the, the ne- then then the next real honest thing is that when I was in high school, I got really nerdy with um, all the Oscar winners, and I became obsessed with trying to memorize winners and, and watch all the films. And I had a really really informative um, 2001 because I remember. Uh, that's when Memento came out. That's when Mulholland Drive came out. That was uh, Royal Tenenbaums. That was Amelie. And, and, and obviously a bunch of other films too. But like, I was really like, I had a really crazy like 15 year old weekend where back to back nights I watched Memento and then Mulholland Drive and like my brain was fucking shattered. <laughs> um, but those, those, I mean, you know, and then after that, that's when everything, you know, when I get into college, I, you know, that's when we start being real snobby and pretentious about movies. So I, I, I'm not going to count any of that stuff, but those, <laughs> I would say those movies were the ones that probably had the most, uh, most effect on me. Yes, absolutely. Very nice. I, I, I do actually, uh, personally have one more question here. I don't know if you've noticed my, uh, my, uh, backdrop here and here, uh, one quick question for you. Are you related to an Austin St. John? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so so uh, I'll, I'll give you the honest answer, which is I don't know. I'm well, here, sure. I know I know it's not because that's not actually his original last name. I, here, here's what I'll say though: I, I I when I when I was watching that show when I was a kid, and I and I would see the credits. Believe me when I when I tell you that I would tell people that I was related to him. Nice. <laughs> As you should. Look, and, and for further proof, listeners, Adam St. John shows up in a red shirt. Mm. Good call. Good call. <laughs> Knowing full well that that question was going to come my way. Yeah. <laughs> also, Indeed. Paul, Paul, was that a criterion of Royal Tenenbaums you held up? That sure was a criterion of Royal Just So people keeping track, we do a drinking game whenever Paul shows a criterion, so. Okay, so now, now our real actual last question, uh, now that we have the, the important question out of the way. Um, have you seen, and what do you think, of the 2019 masterpiece that is Cats? Oh, wow. Um, it, uh, <laughs> I, I have not seen it. Um, but there are two reasons for that. There are two reasons. One is that I know at some point we're going to do it on Below Freezing. It just hasn't happened yet. Um, and the other thing, and uh, this is, uh, <laughs> I, I shared this anecdote recently with a friend, so I, I have no problem sharing it here either. Um, <laughs> recently, the world lost the late, great Stephen Sondheim, um, who, and again, as a, as, a, as a theater actor and somebody who grew up kind of doing stage work, um, I, I, he is forever and always my favorite um, musical composer. Yeah, he's um, amazing. And the first thought that I had when I read the news was, why wasn't it Andrew Lloyd Webber? Um, <laughs> yes. So, so uh, 
I also, I'm not, I'm really not looking forward to watching this version of Cats. Just in general, I do not like Andrew Lloyd Webber musicals. I'm not a fan of Andrew that. Lloyd Webber is the Michael Bay of musical theater. <laughs> it's true. I do not like Andrew Lloyd Webber, but there's something about that Cats movie that does <laughs> all the wrong things and all the It's way. like watching two hobos go at it in it's, the worst way possible. And you just can't Dench turn away. It's a cat, isn't it? Judy Dench is a cat. It's, well, only only uh, with the butthole cut. I do want the butthole cut. <laughs> I must see this. Let's talk about a movie. Okay, let's talk about a movie. Hello, you beautiful people out there in podcast land. My name is Paul Workman. I'm Jonathan Pierce. And I'm Zach McCoy. And I'm Adam St. John. We are your Oscar Grouches. Welcome back to the Oscar Risky Podcast, the show where we discuss Oscar winners throughout history, try to determine where the Academy went wrong, if they went wrong. What film are we watching this week? Jonathan. Today, we're talking about Unforgiven, a movie about a guy who don't do killings for money no more until he needs money and goes to killing. That's a, that's a good reason to go kill him. I yeah. Guess. yeah. All right. Is this everybody's first time seeing this movie? Yes. No. No. No for me as well, Adam. Do you remember the first time you saw this film? Uh, roughly, yeah. Um, I definitely, I remember, um, would have been in high school, at least after my sophomore year, after I got my first job um, as a courtesy clerk, uh, doing whatever courtesy clerks did at the grocery store. Um, and I definitely spent at least half of every paycheck buying movies. Um, and I definitely went through a phase where I was trying to own as many best picture winners as I could. And I, I, I remember having the VHS of Unforgiven. Um, and, and again, probably liking the parts that were very macho and very violent. And uh, only after subsequent watches getting the, the, the deeper themes behind the movie. But yeah, it, I was probably 15, 16 when I saw it the first time. Hmm. Zach, with your framed poster behind you. Yes, this actually belonged to my mother-in-law. She had it hanging in their living room for a while, um, gifted it to me when they redecorated. Um, it's another one of those I kind of mentioned on the Dances with Wolves episode that my stepdad is a big uh, Western guy, and there always seemed to be a Clint Eastwood movie on uh, TV on the weekends. And when I was probably in middle school, I didn't really – I couldn't distinguish them all the time because I'd never sat down and like watched the whole thing. I was just like, well, this is a Western Clint Eastwood's over there. <laughs> but then I also had the VHS and probably watched it um, in high school also for the first time. And again, just kind of digging it for the, the visceral stuff and not really digging into it later. Yeah. About you, Paul. So, my maternal grandfather was really into Westerns and we used to, um, we used to go down and spend like weeks with them when they lived in South Carolina. And, uh, they would let me watch movies, uh, in their bedroom because they ran a daycare and the daycare was on the other side of the house. So I would be able to watch movies in their bedroom. I 
saw this movie just sitting there and was like, I don't know what this is about, but I'm probably about 10 or 11 and I pop in. (laughs) So just going with the themes of me watching movies way too young. Um, Yeah, this is another one that I probably shouldn't have watched, but it did. And I rewatched it again in like my high school years as well and have watched it many times since. Mm-hmm. Cool. All right. Indeed. Indeed. Let's do an Oscar breakdown. Break it down. We'll, we'll stick with the title of the film. It's an unforgiving March 29th, 1993. Cannot be forgiven. It cannot. At least it is not unforgiven too. God. <laughs> Damn it, that's going to go back in my head. <laughs> uh, we are at the Dorothy Chandler Pavilion, Los Angeles, California. Once again, apparently we have abandoned the Shrine Auditorium for the time being. Mm-hmm. Dorothy's back at it. Yep, sure is. And our host is a fourth time in a row, Billy Crystal. Wow. Welcome back. It's in that groove. He is, man. He's in the pocket for this one. Uh, he shows up to the ceremony on a like a chariot dragged by Jack Palance. Of course, <laughs> one best supporting actor the year before. Nice. <laughs> Makes sense. You gotta you gotta cash it on the one hand of push-ups. Pick up the gun. <laughs> Our most nominated films in the evening are Howard's End and Unforgiven at nine. Our most awarded film in the evening is Unforgiven at four. All right, getting into our breakdown. Unforgiven wins Best Picture, giving Clint Eastwood uh, the not the award for producer, beating out The Crying Game, Few Good Men, Howard's Inn, and Scent of a Woman. Mm-hmm. Quite an interesting field of films. Yeah, indeed. We'll get there. Well, I'll have words. <laughs> uh, Clint Eastwood wins Best Director for Unforgiven. Robert Altman in the category for the player, but not up for best picture. Mm. Uh, best actor goes to Al Pacino for Scent of a Woman. Ooh, uh. That's right. Who wowing his way over Clint Eastwood for Unforgiven. So Clint Eastwood does not get the hat trick on the evening. Uh, Denzel Washington also in the category for Malcolm X. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that. That's the bigger one. That's oh that, yeah oh. Fuck this year in the actors category. I can't wait till we get to that part of the podcast because <laughs> this year, fuck almost everybody in this category. Ooh, okay. big words <laughs> sound like me in 1990. We'll get there. No, not to 1990. What was it? 89 where I threw away the entire category. I think yeah. so. Yep. Yeah, that's right. Okay. All right. Our best actress goes to Emma Thompson for Howard's end. Oh, uh, Beating out Mary McDonald, who we all remember from Dance of the Wolves. <laughs> what film was she, she doing this year? Uh, Passion Fish. Oh, okay. Everybody's favorite movie, Passion yeah, remember, Fish. Remember the time? Remember the time that you talked about Passion Fish with your best friend? Yeah, I, I don't. I certainly don't remember that at all. Remember the time they released it for its uh, 20th anniversary into theaters, and everybody was real excited about it. I remember yeah. the pout pout fish. <laughs> what? <laughs> the, it's a children's book, a, I think. The pout pout fish. I I thought maybe you were talking about Renee Zellweger. Okay, no. oh. uh, got him. But now I'm looking up the pout pout fish. Oh, <laughs> man, they did not. The like, Google really wanted. 
That's a book. <laughs> that's that's that exactly a just that. series of books. Oh, okay. I okay. Have one. There we go. There you All go. Because right. <laughs> uh, there's also the not very merry pout pout fish. <laughs> yeah, what is it? pout pout fish goes to the doctor? It is a lot of pout pout fish books. Wow, we have unlocked the world of the pout pout fish. Thanks to <laughs> the pout pout fish and the can't sleep blues. Yep. Okay, I know <laughs> my next purchase for my daughter. Tell me, tell me, do they have beneath the planet of the pout pout fish? <laughs> kiss kiss pout pout fish. <laughs> Starring um, Val Kilmer and Robert Downey uh, <laughs> Jr. Uh, <laughs> Pardon the on. derailment. Let's get back on track here. Uh, Gene Hackman wins Best Supporting Actor for Unforgiven. Uh, very rudely, Morgan Freeman not nominated. Mm. Uh, Al Pacino nominated for Glenn Gary Glenn Ross. A much better performance than Cinema Woman. Uh, Best Supporting Actress goes to Marissa Tomei in My Cousin Vinny. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All aboard on that one. Doo-doo. I agree. Uh, best Screenplay written directly for the screen goes to The Crying Game, giving Neil Jordan Academy Award over David Webb Peoples for Unforgiven. Best screenplay based on previous uh, material previously produced or published goes to Howard's End. Best foreign language film goes to Indochine from France. Uh, best documentary feature goes to the Panama Deception. Can we just talk about the German best language film just because of that title? Stonk. Stonk. <laughs> by, by Helmut Dietl. Stonk. Stonk. Great. With an exclamation point. Yes. With a... <laughs> bring in the noise, bring in the stonk. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, this guy on the poster for stonk looks like um, Kelsey Grammer. <laughs> yeah. Pre or post, Fa- Frazier? Uh, <laughs> he, he looks like he's in that, that in-between... Uh, part where he's about to leave Cheers and go on. Okay, <laughs> get the longer hair that going. <laughs> yeah, he's d- definitely the the hairline is retreating like the French. Nice. Uh, best documentary feature that probably wasn't the right term to use when we're talking about a German film. Um, best documentary feature goes to the Panama Deception. Best documentary short subject goes to Educating Peter. Hmm. So. Okay who was a special needs student with Down syndrome. There you go. Oh, and yeah. Hey, this take Blacksburg, Virginia. Blacksburg, cool. Virginia. Home of Virginia yeah. Tech. Go Indeed. Uh, best live action short film goes to Omnibus. Be oh, is that Omnibus? Omnibus. Who, who, who made that? I feel like I know that. Uh, Sam Carmen. It's a French short comedy film. Okay, thank you. Also won the short film Palme d'Or. Nice. Uh, mm-hmm. And it beats out Swan Song, which uh, has Kenneth Branagh ah. in the director's chair there. Best animated short film goes to Mona Lisa Descending a Staircase. Okay. Good for her. Best original score brings us to our podcast within a podcast, John Williams Oscar Watch. Uh, John Williams, not nominated this evening. What? I know. Probably didn't have any. He was busy. 
yeah, he's he, he's probably real busy right now. Off there with a yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah he's working on something. something. <laughs> uh, instead, uh, it goes to Alan Minkin for Aladdin. Okay, so that's uh, two and two years for him. Do you do? Yes, yeah, three three and two years. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. you get you get score well, and song, score and best song, yeah. Yeah, uh, score and song. Okay. So out of five nominations so far, he's got two of them. Uh, and we'll go ahead and tack on another one for a whole new world. Him and Tim Rice picking up the Academy Award. Howard Ashman getting a posthumous nomination with Alan Macon for Friend Like Me because that was one of the last things that Howard Ashman would work on. Mm-hmm. Half of the music for Aladdin. Yeah, uh, but I feel like "Run to You" from the Bodyguard should have won this award. Oh, over a whole new world, though. Bodyguard rules. Like, I mean, I get it. No, I get it. I get it. I'd ask Adam, but a whole new world. Up, but I know he's just going to yell. Him. Look at him. He's got oh, that look. I, I mean, oh, listen. I know. I can't. I can't do it though. A whole new world is just is classic. I mean, of the two, which one are you going to do in karaoke? More I mean, likely, I'm not going to do a whole new world. Because I don't like doing duo karaoke, and I'm not going to do "Run to You" because I I only break out the uh, the falsetto for one song and one song only. I believe I know the thing song. called "Love by the Darkness." <laughs> yes, sir. Okay. Uh, it's the greatest song that ever was ever written. Uh, best sound effects editing goes to Bram Stoker's "Dracula." Ooh. Uh, best sound goes to. Okay. Real quick, what, you're uh, skipping over skipping something over? here. The fact that we can say that Under Siege is an Oscar-nominated Two fucking movie. Oscar nominations. <laughs> because it's also also nominated. What the fuck? <laughs> the Steven Seagal movie, Under Siege, Under is Siege Oscar is nominated. pretty good. It's Under Siege 2, Dark Territory. Like, when it comes to Seagal thing. movies... Oh, God. No, I think the... Oh, I cannot stand Seagal. Adam looked at the words to say. No, I, I, I think Under Siege is absolutely an entertaining movie. Uh, I think it's very, very uh, amazing to say that it is an Academy Award nominated movie. Um, but I was nodding along like, and basically uh, after that, Seagal can go I, I, you know, fornicate himself, whatever the, whatever you want to put in there. You know, that's basically what I'll, what I'll say. <laughs> yeah, fuck Seagal. <laughs> I absolutely and he can go uh, fuck on, on the filmmaking and the uh, and the personality front. That guy is mm. that guy. Is, yeah, yeah, hot garbage. Uh, but best sound goes to the last of the Mohicans. This movie fucking rules. Sorry, can I just say I just want to put it out there? I love Last of the Mohicans. Michael Mann is a is a god. Yeah. He's and a fucking it, treasure. Yeah, look. Can I just say this movie confused my entire childhood because I'm from Connecticut, home of the Mohegans, and then I see a movie called The Last of the Mohicans, and it makes no fucking sense to me. So it was, it was very confusing. Like I had some actual tribal friends who I'd be like, "How is it actually fucking spelled?" It's fair. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's people who confuse Bohemian with Bahamian. Zach, yeah. Zach, I'm curious. As as did you, did you grew up in Washington, is that right? 
True. Yes. Did you, did you, was there ever any part of you growing up that would get pissed if you ever had to clarify it by saying Washington state? Because I'm always like, no, you have to clarify DC. Fuck that. I grew up in Washington. I'm not going to add state to it. Not doing it. Especially when I moved out here. Cause everybody just says Washington for DC. So no. Bad. Yeah. Cause you're in Virginia yeah. because it's right there. Yep. Although I always just said good. DC. I good for you. Good. I, I feel like most people around here just call it DC since we're like within a drive. It's, you know, it's the same, same reason yeah. we say Va Beach and not Virginia Beach. <laughs> yeah. We don't have time for all those fucking exactly. syllables. Get out of here. Well, you don't call it the district. <laughs> uh, we just call it up there. Up there. There's so much room. Babies prepare flowers bloom. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> We definitely have time for all those. <laughs> the best art direction goes to Howard's end, beating out Unforgiven. Hmm. I feel like Dracula uh, should have taken yeah. that one. Like, seriously, my, of all the ones, My problem is anything like, that Bram Stoker's Dracula is nominated for, it should have. Especially since yeah. it's all below the line, yeah. which kind of sucks. But, yeah, you know, at least it's getting nominated. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um... Best cinematography goes to A River Runs Through It, beating out Unforgiven. Not sure I agree with that. Hmm. But it's been I so don't long. remember that movie. I was going to say, it's been so long since I've seen A River Runs Through It. It's, yeah. it's gorgeous. Uh, I, I forgot it came out this year. I was looking at all these lists and I missed it. Um, it's because everybody else yeah. forgot it came out this year, too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, best makeup goes to Bram Stoker's Dracula, beating out Oscar-nominated Batman Returns. Hooray! The movie that awakened the BDSM in all of us. True. Best costumes. Oh. I keep, every now and again, I get that uh, clip of uh, Michelle Pfeiffer hitting the mannequin heads on the first try and everybody celebrating. I'm like, ah. is... <laughs> Just a lot. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you, you see this beard that I have? I grew this after I saw Batman Returns. Mm-hmm. Because Michelle Pfeiffer put me to yeah. puberty yep. immediately. <laughs> yeah. Um, best costume design goes to Bram Stoker's Dracula beating out Oscar nominated toys <laughs> <laughs> the Barry Levinson Listen, film toys is not a great movie but it's a fun look, movie and I love that movie look, and I just have to point out toys because it came out it is a Barry Levinson film four years after he wins an Oscar for best director <laughs> Yeah, well, I remember it scaring me. I, was there something scary about toys? I can't it's kind of weird. It is really weird, and it's also kind of sad because when uh, what's her name, uh, Joan Cusack, robot lady dies, kind of in a weird way. Like you're just and like, what were you gonna say? No, don't. Oh, just I mean, well, and you mentioned you know he's he's a couple years off his Oscar win, but Bugsy is the year before this. Yeah. So it's not like he's even far removed from doing you know, quote-unquote, critically, you know, acclaimed work. Oh, Bugsy's, Bugsy is the most mediocre piece of filmmaking. <laughs> I mostly blame Warren, blame Warren Beatty. Mm. That's fair. All right, best film editing goes to Unforgiven, and uh, best visual effects goes to Death Becomes Her, beating out Alien 3 and Batman Returns. Wow. What a weird category. <laughs> 
But and yet, and yet, and yet, I remind you that Robert Zemeckis is like the winner or nominee for visual effects. You got it. You got to throw in two years later. Forrest Gump's going to win, and he had, and uh, uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit had already won uh, right. in years in the past. So he. He was he was behind the eight ball on the visual effects thing. That that man was pushing visual yeah. effects like nobody's business. And I mean, he, for better or for worse, he goes on to pretty much start smoothing out motion capture, even though most of his motion capture just looks like ass. Uncanny Valley. I don't suffer from it, Zach. I do. Sometimes, <laughs> at least with Polar Express. <laughs> That shit is nightmare fuel. Uh, all right. Our honorary awards. First one to Federico Fellini in recognition of his place as one of the screen's master storytellers. Ah, oh, I love Fellini. And to, oh, I'm going to butcher this. Petro Laos. Laos. I apologize. An appreciation for outstanding service and dedication <laughs> in upholding the high standards of the Academy of Motion Pictures, Arts, and Sciences. There you go, Trav. So are you Chinese <laughs> or are you Japanese? Laos. Laos. The Gene Herschel Humanitarian Award winners. We got two tonight to make up for all the bad behavior that Hollywood was on in the early 90s. And uh, one goes to Audrey Hepburn for being the Ambassador UNICEF. Yes. And what a queen. Goes to, and the other goes to Elizabeth Taylor for all her work with the AIDS crisis. Goodness. And guess what? Or me sorry to award Get out boy. your uh, science equipment, folks. Uh, Jonathan, you missed last week where I just had like a 10 minute worship fest of Ray Harryhausen. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> the best all right our winner tonight or recipient however you want to say that is eric kastner camera designer he was a german camera designer who was born in jenna he worked with the re camera company and invented the spinning mirror reflex shutter for cameras it was first used in the re flex 35 in 1937 and it says it allows the operator to have a viewfinder image equal to the recorded picture. Hmm. Uh, he would also pick up a class two technical award in 1973. Let me go back and find that in the big book of Oscar trivia. Uh, he get he and uh, Joachim Gerb uh, of the Arnold and Richter Company for the development of the engineering of the Reflex 35BL motion picture camera. And he picked up an Academy Award of Merit in 1982. And that... Moral fiber. I had these marked and then I dropped my book earlier. Damn it. Uh, August Arnold and Eric Kastner of the Arnold and Richter GmbH for the concept and engineering of the first operational 35 millimeter handheld spinning mirror reflex motion picture camera. Fancy. And that is Eric Kastner, camera designer and hero to all. Thank you, Mr. Kastner. Thank you. And that 
is my Oscar breakdown. All right. So let's talk about Unforgiven. I don't like Westerns. Never been a fan. I've always found them pretty boring just because a lot of them, especially back with like with the old spaghetti Western films, there was just a lot of uh, nothing. A lot of shooting of nothing. Of just traveling. And it always bored the shit out I think out you're of confusing spaghetti westerns with something else. Go on. <laughs> no. No. I'm not. And, and listen. And, but I understand the appeal. Because westerns are and have always been kind of a very masculine thing to look at. Like it's like men love westerns and <laughs> cool. I, I guess I'm less of a dude according to people like that. I'm not saying anybody here is of that mindset, but I just never got it. Uh, this was the, for this particular movie, I found it more interesting than most but I've seen episodes of shows that are this exact same yeah, story. They're ripping multiple off. times and, 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 and cool. I just, I found the acting on just about everyone. Mm. Wow. It's you, poor. You watched mm. a completely different movie than I did. Apparently. I, I'm sorry. Like outside of Morgan Freeman, who's the only person, well, and Clint Eastwood. Okay. So like those two, the two main people, I, I I thought they were great, uh, especially Morgan Freeman. But everybody else just felt like they were hamming it up and That's, not in a good way. Hmm. Okay. And again, I'm not saying it's a bad movie. This is one of those movies where it's just not for me personally. Even if I take away the fact that it's a Western, it's still just like, eh. I'd probably watch this if this was in front of me, but eh. so, take it or leave it. Somebody with good taste talk. <laughs> Adam, what do you I, 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 want to, I, want to, I, I gotta i gotta agree with the part of the sentiment that uh jonathan just said because i i agree westerns to me are this is is this antiquated genre that was something that like my grandparents would watch and it's it's not it's not uh type of film that I would easily just go and run to. It's not. And I think about a lot of the old John Wayne stuff that I've tried to revisit. It's not, it is not my favorite. I don't like it. And it wasn't, it actually wasn't until I watched the Dollars trilogy where I was like, okay, these are a bit more entertaining. Now, are they, it's, I think they're iconic. Are they great? Different people are going to give you a different answer to that question. I do, I do think that the good, the bad, and the ugly is quite an epic film uh, very much elevated by Sergio Leone's score, but this movie, um, and and it it is definitely some rewatching. Um, it's it's so much more than just a western, and I think that's why I I appreciate it is because it's sort of poking at the tropes and not it's not that traditional western. It's not it's and like I am not a fan of the early Eastwood stuff. I'm not a fan of High Plains Drifter. I am not a fan of Outlaw Josie Wales. I feel like I'm like pissing on my cinephiles card, but I'm just not a fan of those movies. Um but this one does something different. Um and, and it's hard to necessarily nail what that is, but I I do I there is something about this movie I find quite entertaining. Um and then maybe maybe we'll 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 piece through that uh in the conversation, but 
Yeah. Perhaps. Yeah. Well, so, uh, I'm somewhere in between as far as where, uh, Westerns are concerned. I <laughs> pull out my pretentious card. I like certain Westerns through the course of this podcast. We've watched a lot of John Ford and like the searchers is amazing. Um, I don't like a lot of John Wayne, but he's really good in that. Um, the man who shot Liberty Valance is incredible. Um, I love I love the Dollars trilogy, and I like uh, Pale Rider more than uh, their Stagecoach. Take a drink. Um, yeah, I don't love Outlaw Josie Wales or High Plains Drifter as much, but I do. I like Clint Eastwood. Paul and I were chatting a little bit, uh, and before we did this episode, just about him as a man. We'll get more into that in a bit, I'm sure. Um, but yeah, Unforgiven, Eastwood really didn't want to do a lot of Westerns and he was like, I'm going to close out my Western career by doing an, you know, what they call an anti-Western now, I guess, because the thing that really separates this for me is the emotions and consequences of actions and killings. Like, you know, in old Westerns, everybody just kind of pow, pow, pow and run on and everybody's fine. Not, not deterred by having just killed somebody. And this is crazy that it took till the nineties for a film to really look at that in the Western genre. So that's all I'll say for now. And we'll get Paul's thoughts here. Yeah. I mean, this is Clint Eastwood pretty much deconstructing his own legacy and looking at how far he's come and the impact he's had on not only the genre, but filmmaking and storytelling in general. Like he, He's doing so much with this script and talking about how violence affects not just the people that you kill and the people that are with them, but you as a person. Yeah. Uh, committing the violence, how that blows back on you. And I think he has a lot to say in the themes of that. And he doesn't waste a frame of this film getting down to exactly I I've lost my train of thought. Jonathan threw me off with his really bad opinion. <laughs> so, I think uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah the like you've got the the Schofield or Schofield Schofield kid. Mm-hmm. Um when Jonathan was kind of talking about bad acting, like I was looking at him for a lot of time and I couldn't conv- I wasn't sure whether he was a bad giving a bad performance or if he was bad because he was pretending to be something he's not but even that's, i don't know that it's, that's how i've always read that performance is that it, he he is giving a performance inside of performance and he's doing a bad job at that performance yeah <laughs> adam, yeah. adam, adam <laughs> come on adam <laughs> he, 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 he's not he's not great he's not great i'm i'm not gonna say he's he's yeah. as good as a lot of the other people in this cast because you know when you're up against Hackman and Eastwood and Saul Rubinek is so good in this film, but <laughs> I like what he's, what he is portraying. I think he works for the film. Yeah. All right. Hackman is the only one I'm giving a pass to when it comes to hamming it up because he did an entertaining ham compared to everyone else. Cause Hackman was chewing scenery the entire time. I felt he was over the top and it was good for and, this film. And again, 
I think the ham works in favor of the character because he's a character who's a lot of bluster. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. His his character was the paragon of yeah. extra. <laughs> but I just so you got you know the way you you talk about this being Eastwood kind of breaking down his career in Western film. I look at it more of like, and and again, this is something I appreciate about it. A, hey guys, this could still be a thing. Not as much a, it was a thing. Like I do look at it like this movie was a modern Western and done well because it wasn't like some of those older spaghetti Westerns where it was very much, like I said, a lot of just emptiness for me, like just drawn out, Cool, this scene looks nice, but it's almost to the point of around the world in 80 days. Like, screen scene shooting. What is your definition of too much? I mean, the ones directed by Italian directors. You seem to be talking about a lot of like older American westerns. Sure. But I I see what you're saying. But it it just because when I think of like the John Wayne movies, those didn't have those scenes, I feel like. Long, just drown out uh, but, carriage and horseback riding and stuff. and Yeah. Yeah. But, again, this is a genre that I never delved yeah. too far into. It's just the, the few that I was kind of forced right. to watch. Because it always just... The Westerns always came on Saturday afternoons, and I was stuck at home, and there's nothing yeah. else on TV. So it was always <laughs> like, this is boring. And now I am more bored yeah. because I'm stuck I, I watching I think um, this. So. you made some good points, though, even, uh, even if you don't care for the genre about um, how it's like American legacy, American folk tales are, are the West and Westerns and machoism. And, and that's another thing where, like, you know, we can look at the the depth of it, and I think it is purposeful. It is intended that this movie is reflective on American culture and like, you know, what machismo and stuff has done to people. It's and it's Clint Eastwood who's carried this yeah. mantle of masculinity for decades now, and he's like putting a mirror up to himself and to Hollywood and to you know. American male in a way, you know, look at us. Yeah. That's a really, that's a really great point. I mean, we spend the first part of this movie watching him continually like be bested by farm animals. Like he falls down and he, 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 I mean, he can't even manage his own, his own ranch, his own farm. And we're watching, we're watching like the end result of what that is. Like, like the, the Western star, when they've been put out to pasture, you know, it's like, it's like way past their prime, which is, which I think is, I think think that's, that's that's interesting reading to sort of like reflect back on the, the, you know, the, the diehard effect of, of movies and, and what those big, what, what, what a male star looks like at that time. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And he's been domesticated and dried out and uh, his wife is dead and he's stuck with these two children when you know he'd rather not be there. <laughs> I never got that from him. I think he was obviously toned down, but I don't think he ever... It never got the feeling of he didn't want to be there. It was... I don't think he wanted to be poor. 
and kind of in a bad spot, especially because apparently in the matter of two minutes, every <laughs> pig had the fever. <laughs> Keep going down one by one. But like all of a sudden, it's like these two pigs go, oh, we found another one. All of a sudden, all of them got the fucking I mean, fever. Is that not, is that not um, a reflection of like, covid right now like i couldn't help but when <laughs> yeah. each when each well, yeah. pig got the fever i was like shit like i know four people who just got covid it's like fuck this is a the fucking this is a real thing yeah me, me and my me and my family just got over yeah. it about a week and a half ago so. no now i will also say again with clint eastwood kind of putting this movie out saying hey guys it still can happen it still can be a thing i don't think you get movies like tombstone even though it's like a year later which I think is a better movie, um, I, if I, not I for this one. I don't think you get a whole or like. There's even like this Western thing come out um, during that time because uh, you even get uh, uh, what is it? Yeah, Wyatt Earp comes out a couple years later. Uh, there was another one that but, I saw. That it's was the like, one with yeah. um, um, with Mel Gibson. I can't think of the yeah. name right now. Maverick. Ow. Oh, and the Quick and Maverick the, and Sam Raimi's The Quick and the Dead. Yes. Yes. Um, and, yeah. and I think a lot of that actually, like, we don't get this movie if we don't get Dances with Wolves. Okay, wait, can <sighs> I, can I, I want, I want to raise my hand to that. So there's, okay. I know there's this, like, you know, IMDb trivia is what it is, and, you know, take it for what it's worth. But, like, you know, if you do your basic search, it'll come up, like, you know, uh, Unforgiven is one of three Westerns to win Best Picture, including Dances with Wolves and Cimarron. And it's like, are we saying they're westerns because they take place in the west like i like and i'm not trying to even be funny but like i don't really consider those to be westerns as the way westerns have been defined and like first of all cimarron cimarron is just with you dog shit and should be like (laughs) forgotten about for forever Um, and like dances with wolves it's like i i understand it but i also like to me that is not a that's not a Western to me in the way that the silence of the lambs is not a horror movie. And so to me, and I'm very much, maybe I'm in the minority here, like unforgiven is the only Western to win best picture. So I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm playfully giving a little pushback to the dances with wolves things because I don't, I don't think that's true. And I think that, I think it's a really fair argument when, when you break it down on how we look at Westerns in general, because Cimarron has a lot more, has a lot more in common with something like giant than it does any even the the sure. westerns of the time yeah. uh, the stage coaches and what have you yeah um but uh, whether we think of it as a western or not that is how it's classified and that is how the academy looked at the film and that's how studios are going to look at the film and when something like dances with wolves comes out and makes the ass ton of money that it made. <laughs> the studios, for better or for worse, are just going to go green light whatever the fuck Western we have sitting in a pile right now. And, and that's how you get. That's exactly how it goes west. Goes west. <laughs> Which, yeah, you thank know, God for that. <laughs> I'm, yes. I'm just going to kind of sh- table or uh, flirt a conversation because we're years away. Oh, never mind. What am I talking about? Uh, what are you talking about? No country for old men. Would that be a Western? I don't know. We'll, we'll get there. No, no. Oh, no. That's so great. No, I was thinking about this <laughs> earlier. Sorry. I, I have a really long commute from where I where I teach uh, at the college I teach at. And so I was driving home and I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm doing the Unforgiven Pod tonight. And I'm thinking about like 
contemporary Westerns and not contemporary in terms of like they were made today, but contemporary in terms of like, are they set near the time that we are living? And the two movies that came to mind were No Country for Old Men and Hell or High Water. Those were two movies that came to mind because I feel like there are ideals. There are, there are similarities other than just being kind of shot in, you know, the, the, the big open space that is the West, but like, you know, there, there are these ideals of like what's behind them. Like, you know, a, a a robbery gone wrong or a robbery going right in terms of uh, hell or high water. And like, I don't know. I think Zach, sorry. I just, I wanted to say like, no, I don't think you're on the wrong track. I think that's really, I think the Western needs to change. And I think those movies are our way of sort of like, taking the Western and trying to modernize it. Sorry, I, I, sorry, I, w- I just want to agree with you on that. <laughs> no, and I mean, you get someone like uh, James Mangold, who, who does a lot of stuff that has Western basis, either doing Westerns themselves or doing something like Logan, which is essentially a remake of Shane. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And no, uh, contemporizing Westerns is it's a really interesting ideal, especially like how do cowboys... Like, how does the cowboy mentality fit into modern in modern times? And I think you take, you take over uh, uh, park ranges and things in Oregon or whatever. And I mean, and it goes to, I mean that, and that's. I was going to pull something off the shelf here, but I mean, Akira Kurosawa was mm-hmm. was heavily influenced by John Ford, and a lot of his his samurai films are just retooled westerns. Yeah. So taking taking cowboy mentality and moving them around is not even anything too new. Um yeah. Coming back to Unforgiven, I was I was thinking about uh there are some really gorgeous shots. I know it didn't win cinematography, but there's also one minor criticism I have. I feel like the interior shot, shots are so dark. I know it's purposeful, but there were times I was like, I'm kind of having a hard time seeing what's going on. I don't know if it was because of the version I was, I watched it on HBO max this time around rather than watching my Blu-ray of it. So I don't know if it was just that, or I do just remember it being a dark movie in a lot of places. I could have used another candle or two in the rooms, I guess. I know it kind of had, I, I, it's, I, I, it had it at times when it was dark, it had, I had Kubrick, Barry Lyndon vibes of like all <laughs> natural kind of lighting things. Mm-hmm. Um, it's funny. At times it bugged me and at times it didn't. The, the, when, when Eastwood comes in the end to the bar to, to yeah. seek vengeance for, for Ned's, Ned's death, it didn't, I don't know why it didn't bug me there. Other, right. But I agree at times it did. At times it was very dark. But I felt like it was like, yeah. that was the yeah. darkest spot when, I felt. Oh, it's so but that, that was a choice. And I think that was yeah. a, probably a good choice. Yeah, I, I think the, the darkness kind of goes hand in hand with the violence that you're seeing on screen. So, darkness. Uh, oh, God. No parents. And when, <laughs> Continue darkness. More darkness. God, rich. Oh, God. And Eastwood's, Eastwood's uh, reaction when the one prostitute tells him that Ned's been killed and they put a sign on him. Yeah. His such a great moment yeah. for him where it's so understated ned's dead no he's not he's he just left no they they got to sign him they got to sign on him yeah and then they just he feels more offended than anything. <laughs> like, 
company is going to kill him, kill him, but put a sign on him. What the fuck's wrong with you? Yep. And everything melts away and he grabs that bottle and show is on. And, um, no, I was, I was reading a little something about that scene, you know, when he walks in and, uh, into Slim's and there's so many people in there and you feel like if everybody just kind of, uh, you know, pulled their gun or, or, you know, rushed him or whatever, they, they would get him. Uh, but they were talking, somebody was talking about, uh, the bystander effect. You like, Oh, somebody else is going to take care of him. I don't need to pull my gun and make myself a target. So it's like he used the element of surprise just to, um, put everybody in a state of, Oh shit, what am I, what am I supposed to do? And then when he shoots slim without hesitation, it's just like, okay, <laughs> shit. Yeah. I, 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 I also feel like it's part of that is, you know, I, I, cause I, I mean, for the record, so everybody knows, like, you know, I teach, I teach acting and I, I try to tell my students, you know, that you gotta, you have to play the moment as if it were the first time, right? You have to, to live truthfully in the moment. And I, I think you know, we hear so much about Will Money's background. We hear about how he killed women and children and how he's this, you know, his past as a ruthless killer. And he comes into this space and it's not just the reputation that's with him, but like, he is the only one really, I, I don't, I don't know. Can we say man enough now without getting canceled? But like, he's the only one with the, the guts to really draw his gun. And I, 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 the, I think the bystander effect that you mentioned is interesting, but it's also just like, I wonder how many of those men have actually drawn their weapon on another person and actually killed mm-hmm. somebody. Yeah. And I think that, that, that will money that, that not, not retired, that just dormant will money is now he's like, he's been awakened. And, um, that, 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 that scene at the end is really interesting. See that right there, that right there is where I think it kind of flips on what you're talking about here, because it wasn't the fact that he was the only person who was, who had the guts or the courage to kill a man. He was the only one with a psychopathy. Well, yeah, no, no, him. no. Yeah. Whatever word you, yeah. Whatever word you want to use. I don't, I don't mean he was brave. I just mean he had yeah. the balls to do it or whatever. Yeah. Sure. He, yeah. He, he was the only one with the wherewithal. Like, Cause I yeah. think that was, I, honestly, I think that was the point of his character was that he was trying to say, and all the characters, honestly, like, no, killing a person, even if, like, that's something like the the kid spends the entire movie going, yeah, I've killed five people, like, it's nothing, finally does it, shows that, no, that fucks you up. And then here you have Clint Eastwood going, yeah, <laughs> I'm fucked I, up. Like, that's why I can do it. Like, I am fucked up. I am the only I, person that's At this point, I'm so beyond reproach up. that killing another person is essentially nothing to me, yeah. even though in the one scene where He's shooting. They're they're in the the ravine, and he's shooting yeah. the one guy. He's trying to show him some sympathy. Give him some fucking water. Give some water. But yeah. And honestly, even then, I don't look at that as sympathy. I saw that as more of his character trying yeah, not exactly. to be said, himself. That's why I said trying it, to show it, him yeah. some sympathy. I don't. Like, I don't think it's sympathy. Sure. Came off as annoyance. Really. Yeah. No, that's. <laughs> Yes, exactly. That's what I think too. Just give him some water so he can fucking die. No, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. He's gonna die no matter what. Just, just give him his last request. So, yeah, exactly. And, uh, and to bring it back to the, the Schofield kid and his like, telling tales uh, about his body count. Like this whole film is about storytelling, and. 
the whole when the myth becomes bigger than the truth, you print the myth because yeah. you know you get like English Bob and he's carrying around he's carrying around the myth of English Bob and he's on that train and <laughs> the duck of dick. <laughs> And yeah. he's on that train, and those two other guys are like, "Oh, that's English Bob, and he's he's done this and he's done that." You're sure he's the guy you want to pick a fight with? And then it comes down to it, and little Bill starts telling the true story of the time that he killed five men, and it was one guy, and the one guy shot himself in the foot first, <laughs> and then his gun blew up in his hand. Yeah, yeah. so it, there, even, there's a lot, a lot of the girl, things. even the girl that gets cut up. I mean, it's horrible what happens to her, but it's. That's still exaggerated. Yeah, they cut out her eyes and yeah. cut up her tits and <laughs> like, yeah. It's... And remember, listen, remember, I'm related to to the Red Power Ranger too. So like, myth, like it becomes truth. <laughs> yeah. after a time, right? right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, so again, this is this is deconstructing old westerns because you go into the man who shot Liberty Balance, where this idea comes about that. You know, the myth is always more exciting than anything that's actually happened. And then even at yeah. the end, after he's killed all those guys in, in the bar, uh, Saul Rubinek's character, the the writer, comes up to him and he's 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 writing the story in his head. It's like, so uh, you shot this guy first and then who'd you shoot next? Because I know you shoot the, the strongest guy first. He's like, oh, that's he was the guy that was in front of me. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Well, and that's, I think that's really interesting too, because, and, and, you know, I, I, I was never in the military. I never served. And, you know, there's been no quote unquote great war, you know, whatever during our lifetime, but it's, it's like the way, it's the way that people who served back in, you know, World War II or, or even in Nam, and they would talk about like, if, if asked like, you know, well, what was it like to, to kill somebody? It's like, if the number was big enough at some point, it doesn't be, there's no, there's no, who'd you shoot first? It's just a number. It's just this, this thing that you did. And it reminds me of that Eddie Izzard that once you get to a certain amount of death, it's just like, good, good for you. Where do you have the time? <laughs> but, but th I think that's, that, that's part of it. And like, and that's, that's Will Money's reaction to it, which is like, he doesn't know who he shot first. And, and that his explanation of it is like, I, sh I think I shot who was closest or whatever. Like it, there was no thought behind it. It's just, it's the way that it happened. Right. And there yeah. were some guys shooting at him, so he shot back. End of story. Like, I don't care who these people are. Yeah. They mean me harm. I mean them harm. Yep. Yeah. All right. Well, does anybody have any additional notes? I was just going to mention the one thing I, I read that was kind of funny about uh, Richard Harris. Maybe somebody else saw this note, too, that when Clint Eastwood called him to ask him to play English Bob, he was actually watching High Plains Drifter or something at the time and he thought it was a prank. <laughs> that's that pretty funny. Yeah, that's good. Old Dumbledore. Same idea. You know, the only thing I would say, and I, I don't, I don't know how to say this because I, 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 I love this actor and I think he's fine in the movie, but I, I think this role is actually beneath Gene Hackman. I, I, I think I think he's fine in it, but I Gene I I prefer Gene Hackman pushing himself a little bit, and I don't I don't feel like he did I I I don't know I think it's a you know who would have been great for that role Nick Dolan. yeah no 
this is going <laughs> to no, be a recurring thing. I, 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 I don't know if you're joking or not, to but I totally like agree. No, honestly, I think Nick Dolty would be great in that. <laughs> Paul, I, I just I feel like I feel like this is I feel like this is Popeye light. I feel like we've seen him do this before. That's and, fair. And the fact that he wins for it too, it's like yeah. And and, yeah. and I'm sorry, and I don't I don't know if this is going to come up later or not or whatever, but like I'm not even going to lie. The I am so in love with a few good men, and the fact that Jack Nicholson didn't win, I'm fucking pissed. And uh Paul, do you have that category yeah. up in front of you, the supporting actor? I can get it up in front of me. Give me a second. Because I uh, feel like the entire cast of Glengarry Glen Ross should have like the entire cast of Glengarry Glen Ross should have been in here because <laughs> both plays, both plays. Um, yeah, so we have uh Hackman and Unforgiven, which I I like him in this film. I don't think he should be in this category. I think Freeman should have been instead of Hackman. I think Freeman's much better in the film. Uh, Jay Davidson in The Crying Game, which I think is the nomination that mm-hmm. deserves to stay there. Uh, Nicholson, Few Good Men, Al Pacino, Glengarry, Glenn Ross, and David Paymer for Mr. Saturday Night, which is the only one of the five I have not seen. Um, okay. Same here. But I love Paymer. Yeah, there's an entire movie that I think, just one movie that fills the entire category of supporting actor that's not even been mentioned. Uh, mm. Reservoir Dogs. Yeah. Tim I Roth mean, was... Who do you put into the lead of Reservoir Dogs? Are we calling? Uh, so oh. that's why I said supporting because you uh, can't. There's no I think lead tell, in that though. movie. Maybe I think it could tell. I it's either Kaitel or Tim Roth, and maybe they maybe they're a two hander. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, gosh. Um. I was trying to find my my post. Oh, here it is. Uh, this was my post six days ago, Adam, on Facebook. Jack Nicholson is completely in the pocket in A Few Good Men and a cast full of great actors. He is somehow on a different level. It is easy to forget what a punch this film's most famous line has. Thanks to years of parody and Don McCary commercials. I'll get back to that in a second. Uh, but he gives just the right amount of venom. <laughs> this should have been his third Oscar. Because here's, here's the thing. Can I, I'm gonna, can, let me nerd out for like two minutes. The um, the play version of this of a few good men that Aaron Sokin wrote, not not the film version, um, doesn't doesn't actually have uh, Nathan Jessup giving the you can't handle the truth monologue. It actually is Tom Cruise's character giving a different version of that monologue in in the play. The play doesn't have the great reveal of how he comes up with the whole uh, why wasn't he packed thing. The, the play isn't as good. The film is far superior. But um, like I, when I think of supporting actor performances, it's actually two of them. Like it's Jack Nicholson and Al Pacino give like quintessential supporting actor performances. Al Pacino gives the supporting actor performance in an ensemble, and Jack Nicholson gives the the supporting performance. That's like he's only in three scenes, and he fucking kills him every and, single and, scene. The Academy loves, and I and 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 this is a year too, and we'll get to that in a sec. The Academy Award loves to award best supporting actor to villains. It's their fucking like they they come to it. It's like their it's their orgasm. That's what mm. they love to do. 
And if Gene Hackman wasn't as good, Jack Nicholson wins because they want to give it, they want to give it to Javier Bardem in No Country. They want to give it to Heath Ledger in The Dark Knight. They want to give it to Christoph Waltz and Jane um, in Inglorious Bastards. They that's it's like they just want to give it to the great villain performance. And if Gene Hackman isn't as good or isn't in the role, this is Jack Nicholson's award. And and it's and it's mostly because villains get to be showy. Like yes, exactly. Your, yeah, of your course. lead needs to be a good anchor, and villains get to, as as Jonathan was saying earlier, chew on all of the fucking scenery, and that's essentially their their role and their intent. And as someone who loves eating a bunch of scenery, villains are the guys I've always gravitated toward, and you know that has a lot to do with Jack Nicholson himself playing the Joker. Sure. The film, which uh, much like Pulp Fiction to you, is Batman to me. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, and I think Hackman's good in this. I, but I, I don't think he, I don't think he should be in this category. Yeah, me either. Good, but doesn't deserve it. All right. Well, let's go ahead and move on and ask Paul: Is this movie in the library? It is. Oh. Uh, That's honestly surprising. It uh, does not surprise me at all because this film is <laughs> a masterpiece. Um, so, will you gentlemen please give me a year that this went in? And it is 1992, so its first year of eligibility is 2002. I'm feeling 2010. Okay. I'm going to go 2017. I'm going to say 2006. Okay. All right. Well, nobody wins the prices right, but... Adam, you got the closest. Hmm. It was 2004. Wow. Really? 12 years. Right. So it, it goes in its third year of eligibility because, once again, <laughs> it is a masterpiece. And going in from 1992, we have three other films joining Unforgiven. Those films are the great Robert Rodriguez's oh, really? El Mariachi. Oh, wow. Which yeah. Which is a little shocking because, you know, it's shot in Mexico and in <laughs> Spanish, but it is done with okay. uh, Miramax money. Yeah. Or at least Miramax distribution. Sure. God bless Harvey Weinstein. Uh, Am I right? Ah! <laughs> That's never going <laughs> to. He's always going to be great. <laughs> wait, wait. Do we, do we not like? Did I miss something? Wait, what's going on? No, no. The, 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 I don't know how long I can keep up this. I'm day. kidding. I'm, I'm kidding. Just even, I'm just kidding. even bringing it this far. I'm kidding. What a slug, man. We're, we were all, we were all, we were all yes ending you, Adam. Okay, it's, it's hard, hard being a, a, a nerd raised on Miramax. <laughs> yeah, it really is. And, you know, it's it. one of those like, wow, we, we spent most of our young adult life and most of probably our middle school and teenage years watching a film by a monster. Yeah. All right, um, 1992, also a league of their own. Okay, great. Yeah, I was going to be bringing that up a few times. And our uh, fourth and final film from 1992, Spike Lee's Malcolm X, which also gets its soundtrack into the uh, Library of Congress. Very nice. Nice. What year did Malcolm X get in? Uh, it did not go in until 2010. So, Zach, there's your. Here's your 2010. Okay. And that's it. Those are our four films from 1992. Okay. Nice. All right. Well, just a quick recap of the Razzies that year. Thank you. Oh, goody. Yeah. Uh, worst picture was Shining Through. <laughs> Haven't seen it. 
I don't think too many other people have. <laughs> Obviously not. Uh, worst actor, of course, was Sylvester Stallone in Stop or My Mom Will Shoot. <laughs> he beat out this year. Uh, worst actress, Melanie Griffith in Shining Through and A Stranger Among Us. Okay. Worst supporting actor was Tom Selleck in Christopher Columbus, The Discovery, <laughs> as King Ferdinand of Spain. <laughs> Tom Selleck as King Ferdinand of Spain. Yep. Okay. the Spaniard, boy, Rocky. <laughs> uh, we're supporting actress Estelle Getty in Stop or My Mom Will Shoot. Oh, right. <laughs> uh, worst director David Seltzer for Shining Through. Worst screenplay Stop or My Mom Will Shoot. <laughs> worst new star. I think Paul will actually enjoy this one. Pauly Shore in Encino. Oh, Man. yeah. Fuck Pauly Shore. <laughs> <laughs> Buddy. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Beating out uh, Kevin Costner's crew cut in The Bodyguard. Hope he wins worst supporting. <laughs> nice. I hope he wins worst supporting actor for a goofy movie later. You go. He absolutely will not. Maybe yeah. Biodome or something. I don't know. <laughs> you know what? I like Biodome. <laughs> I, but I like stoner comedy, and that is just the epitome of stoner comedy. Um, worst original song went to High Times, Hard Times from Newsies. What? Fuck that. <laughs> God. Beating out Book of Days from Far and Away wow. and Queen of the Night from The Bodyguard. I, I I'm going to put it out there. I, think, the Razzies. I really like Far and Away. I'm not even going to lie. I enjoy that movie. <laughs> that was shot in Eastern Washington, wasn't it? Oh, Far shit. Away? Was it? I think so. If I'm thinking the right one. Is that the one with John Goodman? and? No, uh, no, no. That's the one with uh, Tom Cruise. Tom, and, Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman. And Nicole Kidman. It's their okay. second film together. Their okay. first one is a married couple. Maybe I'm... they nominated Jack Nicholson and Hoffa. That's a pretty terrible film. The worst actor. Uh, I, I yeah. love Danny DeVito, but that movie kind of sucks. Oh, they they nominated Lorraine Bracco. Fuck what for guys. Medicine Man? Yeah. <laughs> and Kim Basinger for Cool World. What? Oh. No. That's yeah. a great movie. I'm gonna I'm gonna just shamelessly plug that there is an episode of Below Freezing on Cool World. Just point it out. Nice. Hey, shamelessly plug away. Yeah, please. All right, so now it is time to get into our worsty judgment. All right, Adam, so got a couple of questions for you. So first question is, does this movie deserve Best Picture? Oh, man. Okay, so so I am pretty familiar with all of the nominees. Um I've seen Unforgiven and, and A Few Good Men enough to know to know them really well. Um, there is another podcast I used to do called A Thousand One by One, in which we cover the crying game. And I watched Howard's End a couple of nights ago. Um, so I, I'm, I'm pretty familiar with these. If the question is deserve, I think the answer is yes. I do think that this deserved to win Best Picture. It is not my personal favorite, but I do believe that it did deserve to win. Okay. Your personal favorite of that bunch, uh, A Few Good Men? Absolutely. Okay. All right. Um, for me personally, I don't see it. Of the uh, nominees, I lost that webpage. Give me one second here. <laughs> so, um, A Few Good Men is a better movie, personally. Uh, Scent of a Woman, I don't understand why that movie was fucking nominated to begin with. Um, I love, love, love this Al Pacino. 
in the same way that I love crazy Nick Cage. But this was not, that was not a good movie. Um, why a league of their own was not even fucking nominated does not make sense to me at all. I could give you uh, Penny Marshall should have been given best director to begin with. I could give you um, one good guess why uh, league of their own isn't here. Madonna. Sexism. That was just good. I'm going to go with Madonna. I'm I'm going to go with the Academy. Didn't want to give women. Yeah. Best director. Yeah. Because um, hey, up to this point, only one woman has been nominated for best director one. Yeah. No, Penny Marshall very much should have at the very least been nominated at the very least been nominated. Uh, in the end, uh, sidekicks should have won. (laughs) (laughs) Mascot of the pod, Zaphod Beeblebrox. Holy shit. Somebody's dog is pissed by that. Yeah. He, uh, that dog does not like, Chuck Norris. He doesn't understand why Chuck Norris facts ever became popular. Uh, I am not uh, equating my feelings to that dog. Don't worry. I have cannoli now. I hate popular things. Um, Also, Nick Nolte very much should have been uh, nominated for Lorenzo's Oil. Yes. Like, and I mean that legitimately. George Miller should have been nominated for Best Director. So, All right. um, with that said, like, uh, no, I just don't, I just don't see it in this movie. I, I tried to pull myself out of my how I feel about westerns, and um, Unforgiven's no radio flyer. <laughs> Zach, alrighty, does it deserve best picture? Uh, I'll do the quick little breakdown. I've seen all five of these movies. I got to watch three of them this week. Um, the crying game I've only seen once a few years ago. I, I think it's an important movie and uh, it's, it's one of those ones that it's kind of hard to watch from a modern perspective, but it was important when it came out. And I think it's, let's see, there are parts better than the whole or however you say that. I don't necessarily think it's a great movie, uh, so I have it at my number five, but it's fine. Um, number four, Howard's End, I watched for the first time this week. And it's a gorgeous movie, as all you know, the Merchant Ivory ones are. Um, good. Emma Thompson's great. Uh, Helena Bonham Carter is so cute. And also a very good performance, not to diminish her to being cute. Um, it's, it's interesting. It was fun watching Anthony Hopkins uh, play such a different character from Hannibal Lecter just a year later. Um, But no, I don't think it had quite enough snuff to really be a best picture winner. So next I have scent of a woman. I really actually do like that movie, but it's one of those ones I first watched in high school when I was really um, getting into Pacino. I just, you know, I'd watched um, the Godfather movies and, you know, I like Scarface, even if others don't on this podcast um, and, you know, heat and things like that. So I was big into it and I think he's good. I like his monologue at the end, but it's one of those awards where it's like, he probably should have won something sooner. So finally it's Chino time where can, can I, can I but, interject really quick? 
Yeah. Just I I I because I, like I feel like I maybe I might I might be on the same boat with you. I I do like Sin of a Woman as well. I think the biggest things holding it back are its length. Mm, yeah. And Chris O'Donnell. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. Because Chris O'Donnell is garbage. <laughs> Chris O'Donnell has always been garbage, and the only time I've ever enjoyed a movie with Chris O'Donnell probably has to be Three Musketeers. And it definitely wasn't him in that movie that saved it. Yeah. Not to typecast, but they should have taken Ethan Hawke and had him play the role. Like after I, you know, I know it's, it's obvious, so but they yeah. should have. Yes, yes. He's so good. <laughs> yeah. So uh, my number two, well, number one of the others is A Few Good Men. It's great. I think it's almost perfect. I feel like the very ending of the movie... They should have cut it like two minutes sooner. The the final the final scene is a little too corny, <laughs> but with with uh, oh, with Scott Jack Nicholson screaming, "I'm gonna rip off your head and piss in your tits." <laughs> well, I mean, if you if you finish like right there, the like the actual <laughs> last scene with uh, I, I forget his name, Harold like saluting Tom. Oh Bruce's yeah, the, was, the very sorkin ending. Yeah, okay. Yeah, uh, that's what holds it back from being like a perfect movie for me. <laughs> um. That said, Unforgiven is the best of these. I do believe it deserved best picture. Although, if I could chop out, you know, I'd leave Unforgiven, A Few Good Men, and we should have in this category, you should absolutely have Malcolm X nominated for best picture. You should mm-hmm. you should have Reservoir Dogs and mm-hmm. Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. I think that would be like Academy-worthy oh, field. Um, maybe even Chaplin. Ooh, um, no, no. <laughs> not Attenborough's best. I liked it, but yeah, not his best. Sorry, there's a so bunch of other. That was so rude it. of me. I'm so. I'm so <laughs> no, you're, you're fine. It's fine. Yeah, no, you hear no, me? No, you hear me shitting wrong. on Jonathan Fuck through you. the entire <laughs> I, I really, I watched Chaplin. Uh, there's a different podcast I don't do anymore. We did City Lights, and I watched Chaplin because I wanted, I wanted this, I wanted to see it. I, I. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Like, I think I think RDJ is good in it, but as a movie, I was so fucking bored. Oh my god, yeah, I was that's so that's bored. fair. It's been a little while since I watched. It. I just remember how good uh, RDJ was. So he's great. Yeah, he the, is great. The movie kind of it, it really rests on his shoulders. It, yeah, yeah. That's when he's still an actor and not just Iron Man in every movie. <laughs> There's a uh, three other movies I'm I'm not mentioning because I'm going to let Paul talk about those, but I will shout out Hard Boiled and. Uh, Firewalk with me, so oh, hard boy, it's so fucking good. Yeah, so that's what. Yes, it deserved best picture, but the field was messed up. If I miss something, please, uh, please bring up one of the, those films that you said I was going to bring up. Yeah, I'm. I'm pretty certain you won't forget to bring them up. Yeah, you're not going to forget Buffy the Vampire. <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> I have that on DVD right over there. Like it, it survived all the cuts of DVDs I've done because <laughs> it. Has it hit Blu-ray? I don't know. But uh, how am I going to throw away the greatest death scene of all time with uh, Paul Rubens? Yeah. Okay. Well, Paul? Yes? Does this movie deserve Best Picture? Look, I've been waiting to say this since we started this podcast. Sure. Deserves got nothing to do with it. (laughs) Damn it. I'm telling you, when we thought up the, the, the question all that year and a half ago, <laughs> I've been waiting. I've just lying low. 
Nice. All right. Um, ranking, ranking the other ones. Uh, Cinema Woman is terrible. I fucking hate that movie. Uh, I hope it burns in a fire. It is Martin <laughs> Brest's worst movie. And yes, I am including Meet Joe Black. No, you're wrong. You're wrong. <laughs> Meet Joe um, Black. Meet Joe at Black. What point do you get the greatest introduction to a movie ever than Meet Joe Black? Correct. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about another long movie. Oh my god. I don't that care. Movie is I, look, that, the look, price any, of admission to that movie is the rest any, of the movie. I don't care. The any beginning. film, any film where I get to watch Brad Pitt tongue fuck a spoonful of peanut butter is a good movie to me. <laughs> <laughs> or get played bricklayer with his fucking body by two cars. <laughs> like oof. flop, flop, flop. Also, it, it has two PG 13 F words. Um <sighs> Okay, uh, I don't like Cinema Woman. I, just, um, I think Howard's End is going to go at my number three spot here. I like Merchant Ivory films. They're, they're nice and mannered. Yeah. And this was a nice mannered film. I don't know. <laughs> I stick it in the best picture category, though. Right. Um, and we get to watch another one next year. So I'm, <laughs> excited. I'm excited about that one, actually. I, I do love these. I love these films. They're they they hold a special place in my heart, but I just don't think they're really anything special. Thompson's good. I've heard Hopkins is especially good in next year, so we'll see. Yeah, I love Hopkins in this one, but if I'm gonna if I'm gonna nominate Hopkins for anything this year, I'm going Shadowlands. Ooh, I think he's really good at C.S. Lewis. All right, uh, my number two is gonna be Crying Game. I think it's a really good film. Uh, I I'm gonna say this though. I knew two things about that film and it really kind of wrecked watching it because I'd never seen it before. Right. So it kind of wrecked watching the movie for me. And while I was still able to enjoy it, I think I'd need to rewatch it at some point. Was to... it spoiled for you by robot chicken? Uh, it got spoiled for me like many years ago. <sighs> I think was, by it, was it Ace Saturday Ventura? Night uh, as Saturday night live, probably when uh, it's Pat did a, uh, the sketch where Pat sings the crying game. Yeah. Nobody okay, else. Sure. <laughs> sure. I yep. tried to find that sketch to, to show to you guys, <laughs> but I couldn't find it. I was going to be like, wow, crying game's weirder than I thought it was. <laughs> <laughs> um, though, uh, what did I watch with Julia Sweeney? In it? Oh, uh, honey, I blew up the kid came out in 92 and we watched yep. that with the kids this week. Nice. nice. So my number one of the other four, of course, is A Few Good Men. It is incredible. It's such a good film. It is exactly as good as advertised. Uh, Adam, around here, we have a, a lawyer named Don McCarr. And Don <laughs> McCarr used to run these commercials like 10 years ago where he was claiming to be uh, Tom Cruise from A Few Good Men. And... Apparently that has not a lot of basis in fact, but has enough like fact behind it that nobody out and out it or... it. Like they're like, he's he might be a composite, but he's a completely fictional character. But Dom is like, no, I'm gonna put it in my commercial, so I'm yeah. I'm Tom Cruise. <laughs> You're a lousy softball player, Jack. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, so anyway, uh, that shit's always been there. Anyway, yeah, few good men, <laughs> few good men rules. It's so good. Uh, but I'm going to slot Unforgiven at my number one because 
this film rules. It is a beautiful film. It's nice to look at. It doesn't have any of, I think uh, a little too much Aaron Sorkin these days has kind of soured me on a little bit of the Aaron Sorkininess of A Few Good Men. Oh my God. Being the Ricardos is so bad. Oh God, and it's going to get nominated for I, Best Picture. I know, it's fucking I'm terrible. be so fucking angry. I couldn't even watch it after just seeing the poster. Don't. I'm not. I'm not. Like, like Edgar Wright in the fucking the Grindhouse movie. Don't. <laughs> it's terrible. So was, and you know, we got a complaint about Trial of Chicago 7 on this podcast and why that movie got nominated for Best Picture, I'll never understand. But knowing Sorkin's worst tendencies, going back and watching A Few Good Men, yeah, there's some Sorkininess in there. And I'm a West Wing stan. Like, Me too, totally. Yeah. And Sports yeah. Night. Anytime I see anybody from Sports Night, I immediately just want to watch Sports Night. And uh, uh, anyway, he's in this movie. He's in A Few Good Men. He popped up. I was like, oh, Todd, watch Sports Night again. <laughs> anyway, Unforgiven is, like I said, it's a masterpiece. I, I think it's Clint Eastwood's best film, I think. And, and knowing what's coming ahead for him, I still think it's. Oh. His his stroke of genius. Okay. Also, I love Dev, David White Peoples as a writer because Blade Runner rules. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Not wrong. All right. So before I ask the second question, uh, there was something I wanted to bring up real quick. Um, this could have been the fucking year to bring the animated uh, best animated feature up. Um, no. You got Aladdin, which is the best Disney Renaissance movie of them all. I agree. That's, that's not called The Lion King. No, but it is the best. Um, you got Ferngully. Hmm. Don Bluth brings his Rockadoodle. Ferngully, because... or as we like to call it, Dances with Wolves. Yeah. <laughs> Pocahontas. <laughs> and uh, you got Baby's Kids. Yeah, Baby's Kids. So this, was, this should have been that year that uh, Best Animated Feature should have started, but yeah, and I mean the first best animated feature category, I think, only has three films in it. So, yeah. and I just popped out four amazing ones, and one so. of them is fucking the Jimmy Neutron movie. What are we doing? <laughs> I love the Jimmy Neutron. No, ah, oh, come on. I love Steve Odekirk. He's one of my favorite filmmakers. That is a complete fucking goofball. Mm-hmm. Kung Pao, Kung Pao, Jonathan. Well, you didn't. You didn't mention the two movies. I thought you. That's were a lot of nuts. Oh, I'm unless sorry. You were, uh, so the, you player, your the, player the player should be in this category. We mm-hmm. kick out Sin of a Woman, Howard's End. Uh, I think I keep a crying game in. And the player should be in here because it rules. Uh, it is probably my favorite film in 1992. Ooh. I love the player. And I watched it recently because I was just watching a lot of Robert Altman for some reason. Yeah. It's just like, oh, let's just watch a ton of Robert Altman. And I think it's That's his fair. best film since Nashville, which is a masterpiece. Nice. <laughs> don't don't listen to my a thousand and one by one episode on Nashville because I basically spend seventy minutes just like shitting all over that movie. Oh, Ooh. it's it's one of my. I think on the uh, I, I think on the one flew over the cuckoo's nest episode. I put that in a four way tie for my number one. <laughs> Oof! Wow. <laughs> with, with Jaws and uh, one flew over cuckoo's nest and. Uh, what was the other one? What dog day or uh, dog day? Okay. Dog day. Yeah. 
Barry Lyndon was the only one that didn't get in the tie because I don't think that movie is very good. Ah, shit. Yeah. See, see, as you were talking earlier about having to rip up your cinephile card, I don't like Kubrick after 2001. So. Oh, whoa! Whoa! <laughs> I, oh, yeah. shit! Yeah, no, Kubrick is a failed director. <laughs> the, these two over here, they, uh, yeah, I, I'm the only I'm the Kubrick fanboy, and but I I mean I recognize his flaws as a person and you know the shitty behavior he has as a filmmaker. But I recognize I love his movies. he knows how to make a really decent or even good, but but it's weird movie. that you know I I take that out a lot on Kubrick, but I I let Hitchcock get away with it. Yeah, mm. I contain multitudes. <laughs> uh, Malcolm X should have been in the Best Picture yeah. category. What, oh, what was Shakes the Clown? Yeah, shakes the club. What was I going to bring up, Zach? Well, I mean, you've mentioned Batman Returns already. Um, yeah, it's it's yeah. it's a perfect sequel. Yeah, and uh, yeah. Army of Darkness, of course. Oh, that was '92. Holy shit! It was so. It's Army of Darkness it doesn't need to be perfect. anywhere near the okay. Academy. Army of Darkness is my favorite movie of 1992. It's yep. a perfect film. <laughs> Adam over there <laughs> holding his breath. <laughs> Go on, Adam. Listen. Listen, I was a, I was a part of this this wonderful wonderful thing. I got to be a part of like a a, a movie draft, and it was a horror draft. Okay. And um, some people picked uh, the the first Evil Dead and Evil Dead Two, and I had never seen I hadn't seen any of them until like until like this last October. Um, I and I am I have a whole podcast devoted to movies that are below thirty two or like bad movies, quote unquote, right. Um, I, I don't get them. I don't get it. I think they're, they're not fun. They're not fun movies. I think they're all fucking stupid. I hate them all so <laughs> much. Sorry. Raimi, Raimi is, is a big, a big like break into like him and Burton were pretty much the two guys that raised me on how I watched film. I, I bet yeah. I, I would probably disappoint you so much if I told you what my favorite Tim Burton movie is. Oh, no, go ahead. It's Big Fish. It rules. It's Big like Fish. it's okay. like my third. Okay. It's my all favorite right, right. Tim Burton movie. It's like, yeah, it's like my, my number three. And that's that really only becomes because I saw Batman when I was five. And there's literally nothing in the world that is like Batman to me. So it it's kind of like hallowed ground to be. It, it, it sits up no. in the rafters by itself. It's really funny. Like it, if, if somebody told me their favorite movie, I would never, I would never discount whatever their choice was, but anything after their favorite movie, I will shit on as much as I want to, <laughs> because, because I understand like whatever that movie was that got you into this, I would never, I would never want to destroy that for you. Like whatever, even if I don't like the movie, I'd be like, awesome, that's fantastic, right? But you're two through like ninety nine, I'd be like, no, they're fucking terrible. I don't give a shit. Uh, but whatever your number one is, I get it. Like, like hold, like you know, hold true to that for sure. Yeah, yeah, and and it's like I have on my Twitter. Uh, I don't take anything I say as truth. It's just, it's just my truth. Sure. So. Yeah. Yeah. So I feel and I just ignore yeah. everything Paul says anyway. So I mean, we've known each other for almost twenty years, so that yeah. just makes sense. And I talk. If you really want to disappoint Paul, I can tell him my favorite uh, Tim Burton movie. So go ahead. It's Sweeney Todd. Okay, I'm not disappointed. I fucking love Sweeney Todd. <laughs> I don't that, like it. But... That's Sondheim, baby. I love Sondheim, but I think yeah. Tim Burton completely missed the point of Sweeney Todd. 
I, I, I feel like uh, just to come back <laughs> to Evil Dead and Army of Darkness and stuff. It's one of those movies like um, there's so many things that if you get into the right crowd, I guess, in like middle school and high school, you, you yeah. get initiated and that kind of stuff. And if I were to sit down and watch them like for the first time now, I don't think I'd get it. I'd be like, what is this? But at the time, <sighs> at the time, it, it was like, yeah, yeah, initiation, weirdness, and like the certain taboo with watching it. Like maybe you're not supposed to at a young age or something. So I don't know. I, I saw I saw Darkman and Army of Darkness entirely too young, and they warped my brain in ways that I can't understand. And then and then I just was fed a steady diet of Mystery Science Theater three thousand through, <laughs> through my middle school years. So. Yep. Nice. All right, so let's get back into it here. Adam, the second question for you is, is this the worst best picture? Uh, no, and I, I know that because uh, at some point during this episode, we've already mentioned the worst best <laughs> picture ever. That would be Cimarron. Uh, I will hear nothing uh, other than that as the answer. Boom. Okay. Well played, sir. Well played. He actually answered the second part of that question. So <laughs> well done. Um, I'm going to agree with you. It is not the worst best picture. It is not my favorite. I put it at 36, just under from here to eternity and above the last emperor. 36. So, yeah. Okay. Zach. No, it's not the worst. And uh, Adam, I have a, uh, this is our 65th movie. Congrats. I have, I have a Simran at uh, 61, so I do actually have four below it, including oh. the, greatest, the Greatest Show on Earth, uh, Gigi, The Broadway Melody, and Gone with the Wind, because fuck Gone with the Wind, even though mm. it's a technical masterpiece. <laughs> um, but I've got Unforgiven at number 12 for Oof, me. Wow. Uh, my top... 15 are all five-star movies, and then, so, yeah. Number 12, in between Mrs. Miniver and The Sting, which I'm, I'm a little hot on The Sting compared to other people, probably, but I just love that movie, too. Number 12! All right. Paul? All right, so I just want to say something. So, Zach, you said your top 15 is five-star movies? Yeah. Man, I went all the way down to 19. I have 19 five-star movies on here. How is the most cynical person of all of us have that many five-stars? Because I love movies. <laughs> yeah, I've got a bunch of four-and-a-half stars. I, I throw out fucking five-stars like I am I am reigning ones in the club. Are you, are you the person who does a standing ovation even if the play was fucking terrible? No. Okay. Just, just checking. No, I think no, you, no. you hate it when people clap, don't you? Or what, You saw something recently where people... Clapped or I, I hate when people I, clap in movies. I don't like. I like when they clap in theaters. Like yeah, that makes yeah, sense. Yeah. You're on stage. You can hear the fucking clapping. <laughs> You're clapping for the the you know projector guy. If there still is such a thing, I don't know. But also, I am the director that hates audiences, so I attack them. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, no, I don't hate audiences. I just love harassing people. It's so much fun for me. I hate I hate fourth walls is what I really hate. Yes. Sure. Okay. Um, no, this is not the worst best picture. 
I gave this film five stars. It's rules, and I love it. I think Eastwood is really good at making the films, and this is the best time he made the films. And um, I have it at my number eight. Number eight, very nice. Firmly nice. in my top ten, right, right under the bridge on the road of Kwai, which is a masterpiece, and right above Sound of Music, which is a masterpiece. Yeah, I've got Sound of Music at number ten, so I got Deer Hunter at number ten. Yeah, my number ten is It Happened One Night. I'm going to be sad when that gets pushed out. That's in yeah. my. That's at my number fifteen. Yeah. Oh, I love it. One night. It's so good. It's so good. And again, yeah. here we are. Like. It happened one night. Is so good. I have it at my number fifteen right now. Yeah, it, yeah. I I don't think Jonathan knows what happened last week, but we probably shouldn't tell him yet. I guess should we? I don't know. Uh, I guess it doesn't matter. Uh, I put Silence of the Lambs up my number one. Cool, because it's a film that I love so much. I named a fucking dog after it. I fought on my placement for that one. I got I got my Hannibal right here, mm-hmm. nice. hanging out next to my Criterion. Nice. Well, we'll hear Jonathan's thoughts. Yeah, I'm about to say you're, you'll, 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 you'll hear it one day. Yeah, we're <laughs> we're we're hopefully doing that either next week or the week after. All right. Okay. okay. So we'll guess we'll go ahead and call it here. Adam, thank you very much for joining us, sir. Yes, of course. So yes. Uh, and I know you've done it once, but go ahead if you got anything you'd like to plug. Let them know. Yeah, I guess I got I got the two things. Um, so I do I do two shows. Uh, one I do with my wife called Below Freezing, where the caveat of the whole show is that we only do movies that are under 32% or less on the critical side of Rotten Tomatoes. Um, stuff that we have done or have coming up. Uh, we're, we're currently embarking on the Underworld franchise. Um, <laughs> we have... Um, uh, and then and February is our month of romance. Uh, and I'm going to use that term loosely. And so we are covering both Pearl Harbor and Valentine's Day, which will come out on Valentine's Day. Um, nice. And then the other show that I'm doing that I just started this year and that I know Paul knows about is called Rewind 2552, where we're going back 25 years and covering uh, whatever the newest, highest grossing film was at the U.S. box office. So uh, at this point, we have four episodes out. Um, those would be on Jerry Maguire. I, when I go through these movies, it, they're just so fucking different. We have Jerry Maguire, The Relic, Beverly Hills Ninja and In Love and War. Those are the the four movies we've covered so far. And, um, and yeah. when this episode comes out, you'll have done. And I'm I'm just going off of the fact that I listened to the show today, and you gave the hint that you're going to be doing Meet Wally Sparks. Yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so so that'll nice. already be out when this episode drops. And, and wow, and wow on that movie. Um, I, the only thing I can also I'll say is like, man, I really wish Rodney knew when to quit. I, he should have just yeah. knew when to just back out. Yeah. We, uh, me and Manny did that. It was one of the first videos we did for drinking age movies. And oh shit. <laughs> I'll have to send you a link for that. Please do. But yeah, so um I yeah, I'm currently currently engaged in two different podcasts, and you can find them you know, Spotify or Google or Apple, wherever you find podcasts. We're on all the socials doing, you know, socially things or whatever the fuck that is. I don't I don't care all that much. <laughs> I just like talking about movies, which is which is also why I'm here. But yeah, rewind, twenty five fifty two and below freezing. Excellent. Yes. All right. Well, thank you again for joining us, sir. Of course. 
Yep. All right. And my name is Jonathan Pierce. You can find me on the Twitter, the TikToks, and on Twitch at Altorn underscore Occam. Zach, where could we find you? You can find me on Critiker, Zach Master, X A K K M E S T E R, TikTok at House Havoc, or Letterboxd by searching my name, Paul. Follow me at Father of the Fear across the platforms of Instagram, Twitter, and Letterboxd, where I keep a running tally of all the films I watch. And uh, today, yeah, or last night, I just started my uh, Slam Dance 2022 Ooh. adventure uh, because that was only 10 bucks. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have watched at least two films I enjoy uh, Actual People, uh, written, directed, and starring a young woman named Kit Zahar, who I think is going to be a very interesting career to follow because this is her debut film. And uh, a mumblecore movie called Hannah Ha Ha. And I enjoyed that a lot. Nice. One of the actors actually liked my <laughs> Letterboxd review on it. So, uh, nice. Amazing. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, cool. What are we watching next week, Zach? Well, next week we are watching Schindler's List, which you can rent on Amazon, Google, Vudu, YouTube, or stream for free on Tubi. <laughs> okay (laughs) Tubi's awesome yeah it is I don't think I've ever quite looked forward to and dreaded an episode in my life that I have Schindler's List Uh, I got one that's gonna I'm more dreading oh yeah American Beauty oh I said looking forward to as well oh looking forward to as well oh I am not looking forward toward American Beauty at all (laughs) (laughs) going to be an interesting conversation oh mm-hmm. and 1995 is a minefield of canceled assholes so that's yeah <laughs> uh all right so we'd like to thank trav from our sister podcast leveling up with benjamin banks for producing our show we'd like to thank chad ramsey for our most excellent theme song we'd like to thank megan and jay bellevue for our beautiful artwork you can follow the show on twitter and instagram at oscars pod and on facebook at the oscars podcast don't forget to subscribe to the podcast we just a nice five-star review on Apple Podcasts sure, and Spotify that really helps us to be seen in the almighty album. Algorithm got the rhythm of algorithm. Algorithm should arm itself. <laughs> so, for Adam St. John, Zach, Jonathan, and I couldn't think of somebody else in so somebody help me. The poor girl who got cut up. You're cut up. And her teeth. Teeth. Everything but her cunning. <laughs> I would like to be all sad. Oh, honeypot. <laughs>